Thank you for supporting the media outreach of New Covenant Christian Ministries. Through the powerful preaching and teaching of Pastor Bill and Dr. Deanne Johnson, family relations are being restored. The wayward are returning to God. And together, we are transforming all people into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Join us now for a message that will strengthen you in your faith and encourage you to be all that God has designed you to be. Well, listen, you know, we have been in the series, The Work of uh, Relationships Take Work. And we started out talking about the work of respect which was giving due for the feelings, the wishes, the rights, and the traditions of others. And then we went to the work of love, where we talked about making the choice to love, following the command to love, and keeping the commitment to love. And then in our third week, we dealt with the work of communication, to communicate truthfully, thoughtfully, and graciously. And today we close out the series dealing with the work of forgiveness, the work of forgiveness. Now, I, I thought about something. Um, as you guys know, a few weeks ago, we were on our way to church, and I stepped out of my home into my garage, and unfortunately, there was something slick on the garage floor, and both my feet left from underneath me, and I fell hard on that garage floor. And uh, as people were calling, and you all were such a blessing and checking on me, I found myself repeating this phrase. I kept saying, yeah, that concrete was unforgiving. It was unforgiving. And as I was preparing the message, I thought, hmm, the concrete was unforgiving. It was rigid. It was inflexible. And it had no concern for the injury that I would sustain as a result of meeting it. I can't help but think, when we are unforgiving, are we rigid, inflexible, and have no concern for the one who will sustain injury? So. I'm glad that the Lord buttered us up because I think I got the hardest of the four messages. So let's start with the sources of forgiveness, the sources of forgiveness, because there are four words in Scripture that define biblical forgiveness, and it's important to understand what they mean and how they're expressed. So the first one is from God to people. That word forgive, I will not dare bore you or chop up Hebrew and Greek, but in the Hebrew, it means to pardon, to spare, to relieve someone from the burden of their offense. To pardon, spare, or relieve someone from the burden of their offense. What is interesting about this word is that it never represents humans' forgiveness of anyone. It only speaks of God doing the forgiveness. This is the reason for the shock of Jesus' listeners when he said uh, to them, you remember the paralytic? You remember the man who was paralyzed and his friends let him down through the roof? And he was let down and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. And the people around were shocked because they understood that only God could make such an assessment. And they were not prepared to accept the fact that Jesus was God. So when we talk about that kind of forgiveness, some of the places that we think about, like we, we quote 2 Chronicles 7:14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins and heal their land. See, that's God talk. 
Psalm 103, verses 1 through 3 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And then the first benefit, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. These are classified as, this is classified as judicial forgiveness. This is judicial forgiveness. This is the forgiveness that fully recognizes the guilt of the accused, but chooses to extend full pardon. And this is the kind of forgiveness that only God can give. And I, I was going to say, and somebody ought to say thank you. Listen, I, I, put, I put this in my notes. Every now and again, I get these what I call hot biscuits from heaven. And I was sitting in my study and I wrote this down. I said, God doesn't bury the hatchet. He destroys the hatchet. You know how when we get into situations, we say, well, we're going to bury the hatchet. God said, I'm not going to bury the hatchet. When I get finished with you, when the blood covers you, there will be no hatchet. See, this is the forgiveness we love. This is the forgiveness that takes us from darkness to light. This is the, the, the forgiveness that takes us from death to life. This is the forgiveness that we ask for and then say, and Lord, if you get me out of this one, I won't do it no more. And turn around and do it knowing that the same power, my God, I'm just in the introduction. Yes. Oh, we love this forgiveness. But didn't I tell you there were four words? Guess what? Only one of them were used for God. All the rest of them have to do with us forgiving one another. See, the Spirit of God knew we needed extra. So, so from God to people, that's forgiveness. But the other words, one in the Old Testament and two in the New Testament, one of them, the one in the Old Testament means to lift up. For your notes, it means to lift up. One in the New Testament means to send off, lay aside, put away, and forsake. Send off, lay aside, put away, and forsake. And the other one means to grant as a favor. Graciously pardon or rescue. I want you to hear that one again. To grant as a favor. When we forgive one another, I'm extending a favor. You're extending a favor to me to graciously pardon or rescue. Now, this is, this is the kind of forgiveness that Paul was encouraging the Corinthians to extend to an offended brother, um, you, offending brother. Uh, I don't know if you remember in 1 Corinthians, uh, there was talk about a man who was having relations with his mother-in-law. Somebody say, ill. No, I'm just saying. And so, Paul said, you got to put him out the fellowship. You got to put him out the fellowship because see, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. So put him out of the fellowship since he doesn't want to change. Now, don't just kick him out. But since we have approached him and he doesn't want to change, the only other thing for us to do now is to put him out of the fellowship. Ooh, I see your jaws getting tight already. <laughs> put him out of the fellowship for the purposes of letting Satan have access to him. See, because when you don't want to follow God's rules, what happens is you open the door for the enemy, and when the enemy is in a me, you don't want a me in the place. Right? So they put him out, but then in 2 Corinthians, we don't know how long he's been out, 
uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, Paul says this to the church, and I want to read it to you in three versions. The uh, CEV says, most of you have already pointed out the wrong that person did, and that is punishment enough for what was done. When people sin, you should forgive and comfort them so they won't give up in despair. So it's believed that at some point the man repented, but the church folk wasn't ready to forgive. Mm, 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 mm. I knew it was going to be thick. I didn't know it was going to fall this fast. <laughs> that same verse, those same verses in the ESV says, for such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, for he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. And then in the message it says, what the majority of you agreed to as punishment is punishment enough. Now is the time to forgive this man and help him back on his feet. If all you do is pour on the guilt, you could very well cause him to drown in it. That's the kind of forgiveness those words are talking about. It's the forgiveness that Jesus spoke of when Peter asked, Lord, how often, <laughs> you know the scripture, how often, somebody say how often, I hear you even behind your mask, how often, how often, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? And we like to think that Jesus was giving a mathematics lesson. Because <laughs> we start counting, carry the one. Because <laughs> Peter said, what, like seven times? Do, do I forgive him seven times? And Jesus said, seven times 70. You do understand that Jesus was not saying, I want you to keep counting to 490, and when he does something at 491, it's a wrap. It's not what he was saying. What he was saying is, this forgiveness transcends your ability to keep record. I know it's hard, I know it's hard, y'all. I know it's hard. I may share something with you toward the end to help you to understand. I'm not being cavalier in, in teaching this at all because I have lived this. He says, it transcends one's ability to keep record. If you're gonna, if you're gonna do it to them like I did it to you, you're not gonna be able to keep record. Anybody in here saved? sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, fire baptized on your way to heaven anyhow and still sinned? Mm-hmm. So, I want us to understand in terms of these sources of forgiveness, there is the forgiveness from, of God, from God to people, but there is also the forgiveness of people to people. The forgiveness God extends is designed to pardon the offender. Hear me. But the forgiveness we extend is designed to free others and ourselves. So for uh, oh, something else I want to share with you, and that is I wrote, I wrote this quote down. He says, somebody named Lewis Smead said, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. Forgiveness is to set a prisoner free and discover the prisoner was me. Break every chain. Break every chain. Some of us are saying to the Lord, break every chain, break every chain. And the Lord is saying, you got the key. You can break your own chains. You don't need me for this one. 
All you have to do is forgive. So for the rest of our time together, I want to deal with just four little points um, that I call the struggle of forgiveness. The struggle of forgiveness. Can you hang with me for these? Okay. When forgiveness becomes a struggle, first of all, forgiveness becomes a struggle when we don't properly process pain. Forgiveness becomes a struggle when we don't properly process pain. And I, I wrote out, I'm not a manuscript preacher by any stretch of the imagination, but I wrote things out a little more than I normally would because I didn't want to forget anything. And I wrote down, when someone breaks our hearts or betrays our trust, the pain can make us vulnerable and open us up to the scheme of the enemy. Now listen to what his plan is. The, the goal in his coming to our vulnerability is not for anything other than to hurt us even more, derail us spiritually, and rob us of God's blessing. See, he knows what not processing that pain will do. And so that, I don't know if you've ever had this happen. What'll happen is somebody will hurt, hurt you and then you start rehearsing that thing. Or is it just me? Have, have you ever, has somebody ever done something to you and you start playing that thing, you have a recorder in your mind, you have had a whole conversation. <laughs> the entire conversation. And while, you are, while you're holding the conversation in your mind, your blood pressure is going up. You sweating. You start to shaking. Because, listen to me, your emotions don't know the difference between reality and imagination. So even though you're not confronting the issue, you are experiencing all of the emotion that goes with the issue. And the enemy would like nothing more than to keep us in that place of rehearsal instead of stepping out on the stage and dealing with the show. Somebody said it like this. Pain or hurt or even forgiveness to some extent is like a flower that's been crushed underfoot. Just like a flower that's been crushed underfoot, forgiveness is the fragrance that's released from our lives when we've been trampled on. One of my aunties had a, a rose garden. I told my husband, you can tell you're getting old when you start wanting all the stuff that all your old aunts and uncles had. <laughs> I can tell I'm getting old, Minister Rebecca, because I just told my husband, I said, I need to plant me a rose garden. And I feel like I just, Elder Melinda, I just want to sit there and look at like this, because you know that's how the old lady sit. I just want to sit like this and look at my rose garden. <laughs> One of my aunties, one of my beloved aunties had a rose garden and uh, she, it was close, some of the, the roses started growing so much that they started growing over onto where the concrete was. And periodically you would step on uh, one of the petals and when you stepped on the petal, immediately the fragrance of the roses intensified. but it's the same thing with us. Just like that, that's how forgiveness is. It becomes the aroma that has the potential, the sweet aroma that has the potential of coming up, but it only happens when it's changed. See, that's the challenge. That's one of the challenges because we say we are willing to forgive, but we don't understand that the beginning of forgiveness starts with pain. Come on, Jesus. He could stay on the cross and say, Father, 
Forgive them, for they know not what they do. He could say that from the cross because of the pain that he endured in the garden. Without that pain, there would have been no need to hang and say, forgive them. Are you understanding this? Are you seeing this? So forgiveness becomes a struggle when we don't properly process pain. Pain is not a bad thing. Pain is an indication that if something is wrong and it needs to be adjusted and given attention to. Aren't you glad that the precursor to a heart attack is pain? If you got pain running up your left arm, your jaw is getting tight and you feel it, your chest is getting tight and you feel it, you need to run your happy hips to the doctor because that pain is telling you something is wrong and it needs to be addressed and I'm giving you time. Come on, Jesus. I'm giving you time to take care of what could kill you. Look across the aisle and say, ain't none of that in her notes. Pain. And forgiveness only becomes a struggle when we don't properly process pain. In this life, you will have tribulation. You don't think tribulation feels good, do you? Tribulation is not the party. That's not the party. In this life, you will have tribulation, Jesus said, but you can be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. Now hear me, he did not say you can be of good cheer because I've taken away the pain of the tribulation. He just said, I've overcome the world. Whatever comes your way, if you believe in me, if you are blood-bought, then anything that comes your way, I got your back. Forgiveness is only a struggle when we don't properly process pain. I got to hurry up. <laughs> Let me see how you feel at 12 o'clock. <laughs> I'm messing with you. Thank you, sweetie. Here's the second one. Forgiveness is a struggle when we confuse it with forgetfulness. Forgiveness is a struggle when we confuse it with forgetfulness. <laughs> Excuse me. I think one of the greatest disservices we have ever done, albeit not intentional, is whoever came up with the saying, forgive. Oh, you know them too, huh? <laughs> forgive and forget. And the reason I say it, that I think it's a disservice is because what we did was we made people believe that if the memory recurred, then they had not forgiven. But when we forgive, we don't forget the act, but we're no longer held captive by the memory. Do you hear that? When we forgive, we remember the act but we are no longer held captive by the memory. There is something that happened in my life that was quite devastating. And there was a time when as I remembered it, I would become overcome with grief, with anger, and all of that was because of unforgiveness. I just want to be real with you. I literally would become paralyzed 
with grief and anger at more than one person. I was carrying a couple of people who were connected to my trauma in different ways. When I realized that I had forgot forgiven is when I could remember what happened. And when I say what happened, we're talking something that happened over 50 years ago. But when I remember it, while I am sorry that it happened, mm, while I can wonder what life would have been like had it not happened, while I wonder if things would have been different, the memory does not paralyze me. Because I understand that forgiveness has nothing to do with forgetfulness. Do you understand that the God of the universe has wired you in such a way that your brain is more proficient than the best computer in all the world? That's why he's the only one who can forget your sin. <laughs> That's why he's the only one. So we don't forget. We're just no longer held hostage by what occurred. There's a wonderful example of that uh, in Genesis. You would have to read from 42 all the way to 50. So I'll give you the cliff notes. But when I tell you, you're going to know exactly who I'm talking about. Joseph. You remember Joseph? You remember all that Joseph went through. Joseph was the favored son of their father. And Joseph, you know, it wasn't his fault that he was the favorite. But because he was favored, his brothers often misunderstood his motive. So when daddy sent him out to check on the brothers, the brothers said he was just coming to be nosy. No, he was on assignment. So he went out and he did what his father asked him to do. Then he ended up getting into a war. And so he understood he, who he was. His brothers had issue with it. And so they devised a scheme and they said, okay, we know what we can do with this joker. We're going to put him in a pit. However, his older brother decided, well, I'll go along with it, but when everything calms down, I'm going to come and get him, and I'm going to get him out the pit, and everything's going to be all right. Unfortunately, before that happened, he got sold into slavery, basically. But he ends up riding the train of purpose and destiny. <laughs> this ain't got nothing to do with the message but listen let me just tell you don't get mad when you get thrown in a pit baby you might be in a holding pattern for destiny so he now goes to Pharaoh's court and he becomes the greatest he becomes basically the governor and there is a famine he has the wisdom to know how to handle this famine. He helps to take care of the nation. But his people are now starving, and they need to come and get bread. And so they do. And then Joseph kind of goes back and forth with them, a little cat and mouse. Well, they don't recognize Joseph. They don't recognize the one that they despised who is now responsible for their lives. They don't recognize him. But when you get to around uh, chapter 42, particularly, the scripture says, if you read it out of the New King James, I believe, it'll say, Joseph recognized his brothers. He saw these people who had done him harm, and he knew who they were. And also in 42, it says, not only did he recognize his brothers, but he remembered his dream. Because he had a dream, I have a dream, 
<laughs> Joseph could say, I have a dream that one day y'all are going to bow to me. Now, can we just be honest? Some of us right there, when we recognize them and we remember the dream, <laughs> it would have been a mess. <laughs> But what he did was, in 45, it says that he revealed himself to them. He revealed himself to them. And then also in that same chapter, you see where he released them. Because what happened was, when they realized, can you imagine the terror that came across their minds? When they realized who it was? that this was the one they had done so wrong. And so I don't know. Now, this is just me, y'all. This is just me. I, I don't know if they were telling the truth or if they were just making stuff up because at this point, their daddy had died. And so they came to him and they said, now, uh, dad said <laughs> that uh, you, you should uh, not hold this against us. Now, I don't know, nowhere in the scripture do I see where dad said that. And the thing is, dad said a whole lot of stuff, but I didn't see where he said that. So whether they were just afraid or whether there was a side conversation, we don't know. But Joseph chose to release them. And he refused retaliation against his brothers. Why did you go through all that? Because at no point, I want you to see, at no point had Joseph forgotten what happened. At no point had Joseph lost the memory of what got him in the situation. Because he could release them, he was then able to see a greater purpose. One of the passages that I love in chapter 50, he says, you meant it for evil but God oh but God God meant it for good and he doesn't just stop there he says but God meant it for good to save many alive I recognize that while you were malicious God was working something in me putting me in a position so that if I rightly handle my forgiveness of what you did I can be a blessing to you I can be a blessing to me and I can be a blessing to people who don't even know what happened between us So forgiveness is a struggle, though, when we f confuse it with forgetfulness. Here's the third thing. Forgiveness is a struggle when we feel compelled to maintain the relationship. Forgiveness is a struggle when we feel compelled I'm not saying that we shouldn't look for opportunities to reconcile, but when we feel compelled to maintain the relationship. Hear me, beloved. We can release the offense and remove ourselves from the offender. That's good news for somebody. We can release the offense and remove ourselves from the offender. I will use him only because y'all know this ain't never happened and never will. But if my husband hits me upside my head, <clears throat> the first time I might think he was swatting at a fly and I just happened to get in the way. I'm gonna let that sit right there. Get up, Malachi. Oh, but the second time. The second time is going to be a mess. Because though I am saved through and through, I still got a pocket of Brooklyn left. It's sitting right here, sitting right here. <laughs> That's the pocket that said, keep you some Vaseline in your purse and earrings that you can take off quickly. <clears throat> See, I would be the chick that would get killed 
because I'd fight back. Listen, I would have to then say, there's a problem. And while I will forgive you, I'm going to have to get up out of here. One of us got to go. And we're trying to work this thing out so neither one of us leave in a casket. Are you understanding me? Now listen, I'm saying that. I know that there are people in the room and there are people watching online. I am not advocating divorce or anything like that. But what I am saying is, saints of the Most High God, stop making yourself judge and jury over folks when you don't live in their house and you don't understand what they're going through. Do you hear me? Stop it. Because nobody should have to get their head bashed in and keep believing that somebody else means I'm sorry. See, because I'm sorry means not only are you aware of what you have done, but you're getting ready to stop what you have done. But you can't clock me and tell me you're sorry and clock me again. Mm-hmm. I feel that. I don't know where it is, but I feel it. And somebody needs to understand that forgiveness, you can forgive the offense without staying in a relationship with the offender. Some things don't even have to be that drastic. There are some people that you just have to part ways. I know a couple of them. They just got to part ways. It's, it's an issue. Or as one of my grandmama used to say, it's an issue. It's an issue. And if every time we get together, there's some kind of misunderstanding. I'm saying A and you saying B, and now you're going to the elders talking about I didn't like you. Listen. Listen, Linda. <laughs> I can forgive you, but lunch ain't on me. I think this is helping somebody. And let me, let me give you scripture. Let me give you scripture because you know I'm a word girl. Let me give you scripture. Acts chapter 15. Of course, I, gotta, I have to just give you these passages. You put them in your notes. Acts 15, and you look at verses 35 through 40. In the New King James uh, Version, it says, Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention, the Bible says, then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. I love the fact that the, that the scriptures don't mince words. It says the contention. You know what a contention is, right? It's a nice word for an argument. They butted heads. They couldn't agree. We don't, and the scripture says that the contention, it was not a light contention. That this contention was so sharp, so difficult, so piercing that they had to decide to go in separate directions. Now these are, this is two men who God was using mightily to share the gospel which tells me that even those of us who are saved and love God, we're not exempt from situations that create sharp contention. And some of that contention we can work out and keep working together. Other contentions mean you need to go to the left and I need to go to the right. 
And this is the thing. We often talk about the fact that um, even though Paul later reconciled to Mark, what I never hear people talking about is the fact that nowhere do you see in Scripture where he and Barnabas reconciled. You don't see that. So we don't know whatever happened to them. We don't, we don't know whether they ever got back together. We don't know whether they worked together anymore. Obviously, Paul had a change of heart, and he came to understand that the one, the young man that he didn't feel was worthy to go with them back when was now one who was uh, beneficial to him. So we don't, but we don't know whatever happened. So this is it. The, the, the reality is just that uh, sometimes we feel like we just got to stay together. Some, some people you can't work with. Oh, don't play with me. Some people you can't play with. Some people you got to move your desk. Right? Some people you just have to move your desk. Some of y'all been shouting and, and praising God for, your, uh, for a transfer. You ain't fooling me. It ain't the transfer. You ain't making no more money. You were just trying to get away from so-and-so. <laughs> You're just glad that you don't have that same boss no more. <laughs> but what I love about God is he's so good that he will put, it in a put you in a position where you don't have to be with the contentious one anymore. But it's a problem for us when we feel like, when we feel compelled that we have to maintain the relationship. Is this all right with you? I really got to bring it to a close right here. And here's the last one. This one might be a little tight. Forgiveness is a struggle when we expect remorse before release. That's the one, isn't it? That's why I saved it to the last. Mm -hmm. You don't come out with a switchblade, you know. Put a little numbing cream on that thing first. <laughs> Forgiveness is a struggle when we expect remorse before release. Um, I wanted to find an easy one for this one. Do you remember during the plagues of Egypt? The eighth plague um, against Egypt was the plague of locusts. And in the New Living Translation in Exodus chapter 10, verses 16 to 20, it says, Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron. I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you, he confessed. Now, notice that word, he confessed. Forgive my sin just this once and plead with the Lord your God to take away this death from me. So Moses left Pharaoh's court and pleaded with the Lord. The Lord responded by shifting the wind, and the strong west wind blew the locusts into the Red Sea. Not a single locust remained in all the land of Egypt. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart again, so he refused to let the people go. Now listen to me. If you follow that whole account, you know Pharaoh wasn't planning to let nobody go. He had a feigned remorse. Moses had already been through this exercise with him. The only thing that was different now is that now Egypt was dealing with issues that God's people were not. Aren't you glad that God knows how to separate you from the plague? Yes, sir. But his attitude had been the same all along. But what I noticed when I went back to read through this is that at no time, whenever he asked Moses to go and ask God to release them, Moses always did it. He was not waiting for any kind of remorse because he knew He's not remorseful, but I'm going to go and do it anyway because it's not going to be on me. Whatever happens, i got to follow God's way so that it won't be on me. 
And I wrote this, forgiveness is the choice we get to make for ourselves despite the other person's ownership of guilt, regret, or repentance. I knew that wouldn't go over too well. See, because forgiveness does not excuse their behavior. Hear me. Forgiveness does not excuse their behavior. It just prevents their behavior from destroying my heart. That's what it does. So sometimes we say, well, I would forgive them, but they never came to apologize. Some of you can't get an apology because the one you're holding hostage is dead. What you gonna do? You gonna live in jail forever? Mm-hmm. I'm intentionally letting it sit. I know where I am. We cannot allow other people's lack of guilt and remorse make us hostage. It's not for them. It's for us. Forgiveness is not for them. It's for us. Am I saying it's easy? I'm not. But I'm saying that it is the truth. I have a, a few minutes, and so I'll, I'll share with you a little bit of the testimony that I alluded to earlier. When I was 15, we were in our home, and a person that we knew came into our home and in what seemed to be an instant, that person stabbed my stepfather and my mother in my presence. My stepfather died in that instance right there. My mother was hospitalized for a long period of time. I can still remember having to go to the jail, you know, back then they take you to a jail. And I remember walking in the, the jail because I was the only witness. Walked in the jail and there was like this big cage, if you will. Just imagine a, a cage that went all the way to the ceiling, but pretty big. And now, you know, I realize holding cages. And in there was a man the man who had just destroyed my life. And holding on to the bars, to the, to the frame, as he saw me walk by, he said to me, how's your mother? How's your mother? I often tell people that there are parts of the story that I cannot and will not divulge because to tell all of my story means that I'd have to divulge somebody else's story and I will not do that. So as long as some, some people are alive, I will never tell all the detail because I have an obligation to honor. But can you only imagine having to deal with that at 15? Can you only imagine even knowing just the surface details. Can you only imagine? And I would like to tell you, but let me, show you, let me show you the goodness of God. I was 15, but I accepted Jesus at 14. <laughs> because nothing is a surprise to God. And he knew that at 15, I would need a strength that I didn't know about. That I would need an ability that I was too young to have, naturally. That I would need a place of surrender that I didn't even understand. And I would like to tell you that that strength and that anointing instantaneously changed everything but it did not. 
I was angry. I was angry. And when I say I was angry, I hated not just him, but other relatives involved. Because as I said, it was someone that we knew. And so I decided that had you not done what you did, none of this would happen. I became judge and jury. Oh, but bless God. Maybe about six or seven years later, I was in a church service, and the preacher talked about how sometimes we can't enjoy certain holidays and the like because of issues that we have. And I was sitting in the choir stand, knowing that I wanted to stand up, but I was in a church where this situation had been broadcast, it was in the newspaper, people in the church knew about it, I, it wasn't anything that I could hide from. But I knew at that moment I had a choice. My escape route had just shown up, and all I had to do was stand, because that's what the preacher said to do. My fear said, you're going to be the only one standing and everybody's going to know what you're standing for. But my faith said, I can't keep going like this. I can't live like this. I can't continue to be angry at everybody, at the people who were involved and the people who were not involved. I can't continue like this. I got to be free. And God, today I just believe that freedom is mine. And the minute I made it up in my mind to stand up, even if I had to be the only one in that big old choir stand standing up, would you not know? She's in this room right now. I just realized it. My friend Rose was sitting next to me in the choir stand. She didn't have an issue. She didn't have a problem, but she had a friend, and she knew that her friend was in a bad place. And that sister stood up with me, and that day, do you hear me? That day, I got my freedom. That was 54 years ago that it happened. And probably a good 45 or so when we stood up. So today when I talk to you about forgiveness, beloved, I'm not giving you some sweet little stuff that I think. I'm not talking to you about some uh, philosophy that I found in a book somewhere. I'm not even talking about what I read in the Bible and have not yet applied to my life. I'm telling you about the anointing and the grace and the mercy of God that I stepped into. And the same God who opened the doors of the prison for my life. He is here to open the door of the prison for your life. The key is in your hands. The key is in your hands. The key is in your hands. You don't have to wait for anybody to come and take change the lock. You've got the key. So this morning, I want to extend to you the same freedom opportunity that was extended to me all those years ago. If you know there's somebody or somebody's that you have to let go so that you can be free, right here in the sanctuary, just stand on your feet. If you are watching this online, wherever you are, just stand up on your feet because the first step to freedom is being willing to acknowledge that I have the pain, but I'm not leaving here just the way that I came. Am I gonna forget it? No, but will I be ruled by it? Absolutely not.
Heavenly Father, we bless you. We honor you and we thank you. We thank you that you are a promise-keeping God. You have made a promise to us. We thank you, oh God, that you have proven, not only in your word, but by example, by life, that we can get on the other side of every hurt, every pain, every misunderstanding. And I thank you, oh God, for all of my brothers and sisters who now stand just as I stood all those years ago. I thank you for freedom in Jesus' name. God, I thank you for giving them the ability to walk by faith and not by sight. Thank you, God, for causing them to allow the shackles to fall off of their lives, the shackles to fall off of their minds. Stop the tape. Stop the tape. Stop the tape of the argument in their heads, oh God. Thank you. Literally drench them with your anointing. Drench them with your grace. Drench them with your ability. Drench them with your love. God, give them a supernatural ability to love themselves and to release the offender in Jesus' name. God, we thank you that we don't have to know anybody's testimony, that we don't have to know what's going on, what happened. God, you know what has happened in each of their lives, and you have crafted this moment, this moment in time for freedom. So we thank you, God. We thank you, God, for giving us the ability to break every chain that has tried to hold us, every, try, every mindset that has tried to trap us and keep us down. And today we say no longer will we be entrapped. No longer will we be enslaved. We submit to you and we do for others what only we can do. We set them free and we set ourselves free. In Jesus' name. Now throw your hands up and say, thank you for freedom, God. Come on, thank you for freedom, God. Thank you for freedom, God. I may not feel any different at this moment, but thank you for freedom. Thank you for freedom, oh God. Thank you that you who've begun a good work in me will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Thank you, God, that every day that I walk this out, I'm going to get stronger and stronger. Every day that I walk this out, I'm going to have more and more grace. Every day that I walk this out, I'm going to have more and more love. Every day that I walk this out, I'm going to have more and more capacity. Every day that I walk this out, I'm going to have more and more insight. Thank you for freedom, oh God. Thank you that now that I'm emptied of that mess, I can be filled with the issues, filled with the ideas, filled with the hope, filled with the faith, filled with the ability, filled with your anointing, filled with your grace, filled with an opportunity in Jesus' name. Everything that the enemy tried to hold back from me, as I release this, oh God, I thank you for flooding my life now with everything that you have. I bless you, God, and I give you glory in Jesus' name. And everybody in the room, everybody online, say amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Every day. 
retribution. I hear the chains falling. I hear the chains to break every chain. To break every chain. Break every chain. Break every chain. To break every chain. Break every chain. Break every Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Woo! Free people in Jesus say hallelujah! Hallelujah! Glory, 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 glory! Woo! Glory to your holy name, God! Yes, indeed, yes, indeed! Oh, I rejoice at your freedom! I'm trying to tell you now. Freedom is a wonderful place to walk. And it all comes from forgiveness. It all comes from forgiveness. Bless the name of the Lord. Bless the name of the Lord. Well, listen, I want to say to you, whether you're in the sanctuary or whether you're online, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, this would be a wonderful day to make that decision. Everything that we talked about today is not based upon our own ability, our own strength. Everything that we talked about today is because of who Jesus is. The ultimate forgiveness is the forgiveness of sin. Not just the acts of sin, but the state of sin. We were born into sin. We were shaped in iniquity. And any person who is born into this world is born into the sin state, that state that Adam created when he separated, when he disobeyed God. But even before God ushered them out of the garden, scripture would suggest and support that God made a way for us to be returned and reconciled to him. And that way is called Jesus. And the way that we do that is we pray and we ask him to come into our hearts. And by faith, he comes and he lives on the inside of us. He takes our sin, the big old $5 word, he became the propitiation. He became the payment for sin. He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So with every head bowed and every eye closed in this place, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Obviously, if you're watching online, you don't have to close your eyes and bow your head. But in here, we want to because we want to be able to give people the freedom to acknowledge their decision. So with every eye closed, every head bowed, everyone praying with me, say, Dear Lord, I thank you, God, for the, for the work that you did in bringing me to salvation. I recognize that apart from you, I'm a sinner and in need of saving. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart. Be my Lord and my Savior. Exchange your righteousness for my sinfulness. I receive you today in your precious name. While eyes are still closed and heads are still bowed, if this is the first time that you've ever prayed that prayer to ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart, would you just raise your hand right where you are? First time that you prayed that prayer. Amen. I don't see any hands, but let me tell you this. You can look up at me. So what I want you to do is this. If you're watching online, or even if you need to make that decision or you just didn't raise your hand here in the sanctuary, I want you to go to the website, newcov.org. On that website, you're going to see a page, the first page, the introductory page says connect, has one button that says connect. When you hit the connect button, then you have the opportunity to connect with Christ. When you press that button, give us your information and we will reach back out to you and help you on this journey. Also on that same uh, website, you can have the opportunity to connect as a visitor. If this is your first time visiting with us, you saw that, you heard that earlier in the announcements. But also, if you're in here and you want to connect with New Covenant and become a member, 
whether you are here or whether you are watching online, you can do that. So make sure whatever it is that you do, go to that site and give us the privilege and the opportunity to walk the transformation journey with us because we're all going from glory to glory and faith to faith. Amen? Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message. For more information on other products and materials, please contact us at 770-484-9300, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Or visit our website at www.newcov.org. If you're in the Atlanta area, we invite you to join us for one of our dynamic services. Once again, thank you for receiving the living word of God from New Covenant Christian Ministries, where we are transforming all people into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ.